Well, we're here. We have come to the end of the book of Revelation. This is the last message in the book of Revelation. And over this past year, we have covered a lot of material. It's been a long journey. It's been a really, really long journey, but it has also been a very, very good journey. I myself, I have learned a lot over this past year, and I hope you've learned a lot as well. But more than learning a lot, I pray that over this past year, you have grown to become more like Jesus. And not only have you grown to become more like Jesus, but you have grown to come to serve him even more faithfully. And now as we find ourselves at the end of the book of Revelation, it's as if we have really come back to the beginning. Because John does something very interesting in the book of Revelation. At the beginning of the book, he starts with some very key important information And when he comes to the end of the book, he comes back in a way to very similar information. He does what many writers and public speakers do. They put important information at the beginning and at the end. Because people often remember what they hear first and what they hear last. So what John does is he puts key information at the beginning in the prologue and he comes back to key information in the epilogue. This morning, we're going to look at that information. We're going to look together at the last words of Revelation. Remember where John began? John begins in the prologue, in these first two verses of the prologue, look what John writes. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the testimony of Jesus revealed by Jesus. The revelation of Jesus by Jesus. And we read here that John saw this. He testifies and he writes down what he saw. This is his testimony of what he actually saw. And he shares this with us for three main purposes. Number one, so that we may know the Jesus who revealed this prophecy. Number two, so that we may know Jesus is coming soon. And number three, so that we will know to faithfully and obediently follow Jesus. Three purposes laid out right here at the beginning of the book. Now, to be honest, we recognize over this past year that much of the exciting information comes in the middle. We recognize that we get these glimpses of the future. We looked at the rapture. We looked at the tribulation. We looked at the return of Jesus, the battle of Armageddon, the millennium, the battle of Gog and Magog. And last week, we looked at the future, our future as followers of Jesus Christ in heaven, our eternal home. But all throughout the book, 
beginning, middle, and end. The glimpses of the future that Jesus has given to us are always set in the context of how those glimpses of the future impact our present and always take us back to the three questions. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that he is returning soon? And are you faithfully following him? And so this morning, we end up where we began. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, if you're not there already, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it is on page 1005. It is a very easy page to find. It is the last page. Page 1005, Revelation 22, verses six through 21. This is the epilogue of the book of Revelation. These are the last words of Revelation. Now, it's interesting to me, it may not be interesting to you, but it's interesting to me that John does not end the book with a description of heaven. If I were writing the book of Revelation, I think I would end with a description of heaven, with a description of our eternal home. It's kind of a high point for me. And I'm assuming it's a kind of a high point for you. But John doesn't end there. John shares these last words with us, and the last words that he shares with us are meant to be important words, maybe the most important words, for how we live our life here and now. And as we go through these last words of Revelation, I ask that you reflect, that you personally reflect on these last words and what Jesus has to say to you this morning. Not the person sitting next to you, not your neighbor, not your friend, not your wife, husband, you. What is God saying to you this morning? Because we are gonna look at five sections of last things. And I am convinced that at least one of these sections applies to you that Jesus has a specific message to you as we come to the last words of Revelation. So first, we have a last reminder about Scripture. A last reminder about Scripture. It's the Word of God. Look at verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. John makes a point to tell us that the book of Revelation and really all of scripture is trustworthy and true. This means that it is accurate. These words, all of scripture, are faithful and reliable. They are real and genuine. Faithful and reliable. Real and genuine. And because they are faithful and reliable and real and general, and because of the declaration of God himself, these are the words of God. Which means that we can count on them because they are accurate. And there's one way that we can look. There's many ways that we can look about at the accuracy of Scripture, but one of the ways is to look at fulfilled prophecy. 
So what I want to do today is I want to give you an example of fulfilled prophecy. Prophecy that was given to us in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. I want to share with you eight prophecies that were written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Look at these eight prophecies with me. There's a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, enters Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, betrayal money thrown in the temple, buying of a potter's field, silent before accusers, and crucified. Eight prophecies given in the Old Testament hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. What do you think the odds are that all eight of those prophecies could be fulfilled in one person? Good question. I'm glad you asked. The odds are one in 10 to the 17th power. That is one with 17 zeros behind it. I don't even know how to say that number. Those are long odds. But you and me, we just kind of look at that number and we think to ourselves, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I realize it's a big number. I realize the odds are long. So let me help you understand what those odds look like. Imagine that you took silver dollars and you took silver dollars and you placed them all over the state of Texas, all over the state of Texas, over its surface area. Those silver dollars would be stacked two feet high. That is how many silver dollars one, 10 seventeenths is. Okay, follow me? All over Texas, two feet of silver dollars. Take one of those silver dollars and put a mark on it. And then take that marked silver dollar and throw it back into the mix and stir it all up. And then have a person go try to find that silver dollar. The odds that they would have to find that silver dollar are the same odds that all eight of those prophecies could be fulfilled in one person. And they were. They were fulfilled in Jesus. You see, Scripture, the Bible, is accurate. But it's not only accurate, it's authoritative. Look at verse seven. Verse seven says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. If revelation is trustworthy and true, it makes sense that we should keep the words of prophecy written in the scroll. It means it makes sense that we should do what it says we should do, and we should not do what it says we should not do. This is a call to obedient holiness. And look what Jesus says. This is a beatitude. Jesus says that he is going to bless those who keep the words of revelation. This means that he is going to provide you happiness and joy if you obey the words of revelation and if you obey all of scripture. Do you want to live a life that is full of happiness and joy? Okay, that's not rhetorical. Do you want to live a life that is full of happiness and joy? Yes. yes then do what the book says to do and don't do what the book says not to do. And you will be blessed. Read, believe, and live out the words of this testimony. We started with this. Remember back in Revelation 3 
Verse one, what John wrote, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. And what does it say? And take it to heart. Take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. See, the Bible, this testimony of revelation is accurate. It's authoritative, which means we should obey what it says, but we should also share its message. Jump down to verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. To seal up a book means to hide its message. John is proclaiming here, not only is scripture accurate, not only is it authoritative, but it is meant to be shared. It is meant to be available. And we are to be the ones who share this prophecy, who share this testimony, who share the words of scripture. Earlier on, we read, Jim took us back to the book of Daniel. And when we were in the book of Daniel, part for part of the Revelation series, we saw that Daniel was instructed to seal up the book until the right time when Jesus, the only one who was worthy, would break the seals of the scroll. Here we have a completely opposite instruction. Do not seal up the testimony. Share the testimony. Jump down to verse 18. It's a bit down, it's towards the end. There's one more thing that John would like to say about scripture. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away, or, or, takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. This is a pretty strong warning about adding or taking away from the book of Revelation, but this principle also applies to all of God's words. There are some who have done this. Jehovah's Witnesses have taken away from the truth of Scripture by declaring that Jesus Christ is not divine, that he is a begotten being, that he was created. They've taken away from Scripture. Mormons have done the opposite. They have added to Scripture by adding their own book, the Book of Mormon. And here we have a significant warning and these are in violation of that warning. But it's not only people out there. The instructions to us as well, it's to you and it's to me. You see, we're not supposed to add anything to scripture and we're not supposed to take anything away from scripture. We're to believe that it is accurate. We're to believe that it is authoritative. We are to believe that it needs to be available and although we not, may not understand everything it says, although we may not like everything it says, we are clearly instructed, do not add to this or do not subtract to it. This book is not interpreted through our sensitivities. This is the word of God. This book is not interpreted, interpreted through the pressure from the outside world to say or do something different. Why? Because this is the very word of God. And this word declares his majesty, his glory, his power, and his sovereignty over all of history. 
So you may be sitting here this morning and this section may apply to you because you may be struggling between what is right and what is wrong. The answer is found in the very word of God. Do what it says and don't do what it says not to do. Which leads us to the last instruction. We just went through the last reminder about scripture. Now we have a last instruction and the last instruction is worship God. Look at verses eight and nine. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with all your fellow prophets and with all you who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. The last instruction from these last words of revelation is worship God. John here is overwhelmed by what he has seen and heard. Can you imagine standing in John's shoes and actually having seen and heard all of these things? What would be your response? Yes, your response would be to fall down in worship. It should be our response as well. But can you imagine John? He's right there. So he falls down and he worships at the feet of the angel. He worships the angel. The angel says, don't do that. Don't worship me. In essence, the angel here is saying right response, wrong object. All throughout the Bible, we are instructed to worship God and God alone. Our worship is to go to no other we have a commandment in one of the 10 commandments that says, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not bow down to any other gods. In the book of Daniel, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are instructed, they're commanded to bow down before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and they stand strong and they stand firm and they're like, we will never bow down to a statue. In the book of Esther, Mordecai is told that he must bow down before Haman. Never, Mordecai responds, will I bow before a man. All throughout scripture, we are instructed. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only God, the one true God. He and he alone is deserving of our worship. So this morning... What does your life say about your worship? Like I recognize that we're all here this morning. You're joining maybe online and all of us are gathered to worship God through song, through praying, scripture, opening up his word. But what about the rest of the week? Who do you worship during the rest of the week? What does your time, your use of time say about who you worship? What does your use of the money that God has given to you say about who you worship? Is God saying to you this morning, right response, wrong object? We have a last reminder about scripture. It's the word of God. We have a last instruction, worship God, which leads us to a last promise, a last promise from Jesus. He is returning to earth with his reward. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here Jesus promises that he is coming soon. And remember, friends, these are Jesus's very words. He's coming back with his reward. This is his testimony. This is his witness to you, his witness to me. He is coming soon. He is returning with his reward. How does that make you feel this morning? When you hear that, what do you think? I can imagine two kind of very different responses. One may be, I'm not so sure that I'm so excited about Jesus returning. And the motivation behind that response may be that you're not in a very good position for him to return. You may be doing things that he doesn't want you to do. You may be looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. I'm not here this morning, but in the week, you may be looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. You may be reading things that you shouldn't be reading. You may be doing things, maybe at work, maybe at school, that you shouldn't be doing, and in your mind you're thinking, oh Lord, I hope Jesus doesn't return now. There's another response that's very different, and that's the response that looks forward to Jesus' return. And I find that response most prevalent among people who are going through trial and difficulty. This morning, you may be here, you may be watching, and life's been difficult. You feel the pain. You feel the difficulty. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you never expected to be broken. But it's broken. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe this week you went to the doctor and the doctor gave you bad news. And you're wondering, what am I going to be experiencing next week, next month, or in this year? Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe you're wondering where the money is going to come from to pay that next bill. And the trial and the difficulty causes you to look at this promise and to say, hallelujah, Jesus is coming soon. His promise to you and his promise to me is that he is going to return. He's going to come soon. But that promise raises a question. It raises actually a bit of a dilemma. Here in verse 12, he promises that he's going to come back soon. Earlier in verse 7, he promised that he was going to come back soon. Later in verse 20, he promises that he's going to come back soon. But I know some of you are sitting there thinking, like I think, well, that soon thing doesn't really work itself out because this was like 2,000 years ago. I don't really categorize that as soon. And if you're feeling difficulty and pain and hurt in life, you definitely don't think this is soon. But I'd like to suggest that there's another way to look at this. Look at what the Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 about the day of the Lord. That's about the day of the return of Jesus. Look what he writes. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God has a very different view of time than you do or than I You see, God's view of time is impacted by his mercy and his love. It is impacted by the mercy and the love that he has for you. It is impacted by the grace that he wants to demonstrate to you. And more specifically, the grace that he wants to demonstrate to people who do not yet know him. So as a result, he is slow in his response because he wants everyone to come to faith. The last promise is that Jesus is coming soon with his reward. That leads us to the last blessing and the last warning. You see, Jesus promised that he is coming soon with his reward. His reward means that he is going to repay each person according to what they have done. He is going to repay each believer in Jesus Christ according to what they have done. And he is going to repay each person who does not believe in Jesus according to what they have done. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus here explains his reward. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Those here who wash their robes are described as those who will experience eternal life and get to live in the new city, the new Jerusalem. This language is, 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 is somewhat symbolic. And the idea of washing the robe is an idea of washing your robe in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a cleansing that takes place. Jesus died on a cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He is referred to as the Lamb of God. And when we wash our robes, that means that we come to believe in his action on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins that makes us right with our heavenly father. Wash your robes in the blood of the lamb and you will experience the blessing of eternal life and that life in the new city. But then we look at those who do not wash their robes in the blood of Jesus. They're defined here in multiple ways, but they will remain outside the walls of the new Jerusalem. And John told us earlier where they will be. Turn back to Revelation 21. Go back to Revelation 21, verse eight. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the repayment. This is the reward for those who do not believe in Jesus. It's the last warning. Part of that warning 
is also found in verse 11, back in Revelation 22. So go back to 22. Back in 22, verse 11. This is part of the warning as well. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Now at first, when you read these verses, this verse, it appears that it says that bad people will just be bad people and good people will be good people and that people just don't change. So just leave them be. This is not what he is saying here. That is not the message. This is actually, in its context, a warning. Over and over again, the message of the Bible is repent and believe. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of that sin for eternal life. Repent and believe, and Jesus will change you. He will change your mind, and he will change your heart, and he will conform your image to himself. All throughout the Bible, that has been the message. So in context, that this is actually an appeal to respond to this book in the imminent return of Jesus. What this verse is saying is a person has to make a choice. You have to choose evil or you have to choose righteousness. And there is no middle ground. You choose one or you choose the other. There is no neutrality. Because if the warnings in this book aren't enough, and can we agree there have been a lot of warnings in this book? If the warnings in this book are not enough, the wicked will continue to be wicked and the righteous will continue to be righteous and God will not do anything about it. Heed the warning. Some of you here need to recognize and live in the truth of the blessing of the reward that God has for you through Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Life in the new Jerusalem. But there are others that need to hear this last warning. And they need to respond to the last warning. And I know exactly how Jesus wants you to respond because we come to a last invitation. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Here on the last page of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the Spirit of God and all of the church say, come. Say, accept the invitation that Jesus has for you to believe. Accept the invitation that Jesus is offering you eternal life. Accept the invitation that Jesus has a home prepared for you in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. At the very last end of the Bible, Jesus provides an invitation through the Spirit and the church. Come.
If you are thirsty, come. Don't wait any longer. All of us at one point or another have been thirsty. Some of you this morning are thirsty and Jesus is saying, come. And there is nothing in this world that will satisfy your thirst other than Jesus Christ. He is the only person who can satisfy your thirst. And this morning, the very spirit of God and all of the believers in this sanctuary and all of the believers online are saying, come. Come to him who will quench your thirst and give you eternal life. In a very real way, in this book of Revelation, in our study, we have ended where we began. John brings us full circle back to the truth of this book. And there are three questions that he continually drives home and that I want to leave you with this morning. Question number one, do you know Jesus? Question number one, do you know Jesus? It's not rhetorical, people. I know I said that before. This is participatory. Do you know Jesus? Yes. yes. Second question, do you know that he is returning soon? Yes. yes. Third question, do you want to live your life faithfully obedient to Jesus? My friends, my brothers and my sisters, that is the message of Revelation. Knowing Jesus, believing he is coming soon, and faithfully and obediently living your life for him. It's the last words of Revelation, and they're given to us in a last reminder of scripture. It is the word of God. In a last instruction, worship God. In a last promise, Jesus is returning soon with your reward. In a last blessing, in a last warning, and finally, with a last invitation. The very words, the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. These are the last words of Revelation. But what is actually more important this morning, the question that is more important, is what are your last words? Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.